0: Today's reading comes from the fourth chapter of John, and this is part of Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Morning. Oh, man, good to be with you. It's also always good when my microphone turns on for the first time in the service. I just switched those packs. So it's comforting. Nice to be here with you. Uh, for those of you who may be new here today, my name is Steve, and I'm one of your pastors here. I'm really glad to be with you here this morning. We're doing something a little bit different today. In fact, you guys, is it okay if I move this stuff out of the way? Can I, the microphone, I didn't ask permission to knock it over. Maybe I should have done that. All right. What I'd like to do today is share with you pretty directly from my own heart and maybe a, a little bit of my own vantage point about our worship life right now and the future of our worship life and what I, how I perceive God working in us and through us and leading us, inspired in no small part uh, by that passage that we just heard read, that little interaction, the conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman a long, long time ago. He, he was answering a question when he said the, the Father seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. She had just asked him a question about some very long established worship practices. She said, you know, we Samaritans, we believe that we must worship God on this hill over here. It's called Mount Gerizim. I've actually been to the top of Mount Gerizim before, and all the mountains are mostly hills in Israel, most of them. And then you Israelites believe that we're supposed to worship God on this other hill over here, also called Mount Zion or Jerusalem. And she's kind of challenging him, like, what's going on here? I see that you're a prophet. And then Jesus relativizes both of these long, well-established worship practices and then puts himself in the center of whatever is going to come next. I'll be the one who reveals God to you. I am he, and, you, and the Father desires those who worship him in spirit and in truth. As I read this passage anew in this context, it took my mind back strongly. I was strongly reminded of a conversation that marked me a little bit. Almost 20 years ago now, I was a first-year graduate student, and I was relatively newly married. Amy and I had been married about a year. Uh, We were living in an apartment near campus, but some of the unmarried students in my department had all kind of rented a house together, and they were learning, um, let's just say they were learning how to live in community, right? They were Sharing their stuff and their space, and uh, uh, and they this one woman shared with me about a particular tension that she was having with somebody else in the house and uh was trying, was processing out loud with me, trying to decide is it worth it for me to engage this conflict? Should I pursue this one, or is this one of those live and let live, I'll just get over it, live to fight another day kind of situations? And and my first reaction perceiving that there was more going on here than preference. You know, like, well, we're all going to buy milk, and I like 1%, and you like 2%, or whatever it's going to be. I perceived that there was something more going on. Like, this is, like, better or righter, and this is worse or wronger, or something like that. And so that's not English, is it? And so I said uh, to her, I said, you know, I guess I think that if it's right, then it's worth it, right? And she wisely pushed back on me a little bit. She said, you know, I don't think that's exactly it either. not every hill is the hill to die on. I was like, oh, yeah, actually, that's pretty smart, too. And it made me think, I went back to that conversation reading this story and was thinking about Jesus taking these long-established worship practices and relativizing them both and placing himself squarely at the center. And what what it challenged me to think and what I think it would be wise for all of us to contemplate and to evaluate, to submit to prayer, is to ask about what are those things that we hold tightly? And what are those things that it would be wise for us if we held them lightly? <laughs> what are the things to hold tightly and what are the things to hold lightly? On the on the hold tightly end of the spectrum, let me take your attention for a moment to another Bible verse, a, a different context. It comes from a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. It's a verse that became very important to me a long time ago and has remained a real guiding image, a guiding verse for me in my decision-making, in in my life. Uh, It comes from uh, Paul's writing to these Christians in Galatia. It's a church that he planted, that he loved very much, that he was very passionate about. This church had kind of gotten in trouble. They had gotten into some controversy. They were really conflicted internally and threatened from outside. And He writes them this letter. We now call this letter a book, the book of Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says to them, my my dear Galatians, it is as if I am in the pains of childbirth for you, which is a funny thing for Paul to say. This was not Paula, this was Paul, and I'm pretty sure he'd never experienced the pains of childbirth, and I always think it's a little funny how much this verse has resonated with me because I have never experienced the pains of childbirth before either, but he wrote to them, it is as if I am in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ be formed in you. It is as if I am laboring for you that Christ be formed in you. And, and that is the desire of my heart, that Christ be formed in me. I, I want to have the relationship with the Father that Christ had. I want to be able to pray and hear the direction of the Father and speak as the Father does, as Christ did. I want to learn how to treat my enemies and my friends as Christ did, for the sake of the people in my life, my wife, my children, my friends, my colleagues, I desire that Christ be formed in me. They could really use that to happen. That's my desire for our church. For our world, imagine how much better our world would be if more people came to have the relationship with God, came to know who God is in the way of Jesus. The non-Christian world, I think, in a relatively inarticulate, intuitive way, looks at the church and goes, it'd be great great if Christ were formed in y'all, right? If you guys were more like Jesus, we think that'd be a good thing. I don't think they even know what they mean by that, but I think that that's out there. I desire that Christ be formed in me and in us. And that's certainly my desire for our worship life, too something to hold tightly to, that when we gather together for worship, that one of the most important things that would happen is that we would come and we would experience and be reminded on a weekly basis just how good the gospel of Jesus truly is for us that we would come and be reminded how good Jesus is, that we would be formed in the way of Jesus, and that people who are not followers of Jesus yet, but who are gathered among us as guests and family and friends, would have the opportunity to find life in Jesus for themselves, that Christ be formed in us. I've had the opportunity in a number of venues to share over the last almost two years that I've been here as a part of UALC, a little bit of how i picture that what i picture that looking like how i envision that future in a in a general sort of way when i when i picture that worship life for us as christ is formed in us I imagine a time when, for each of us and all of us together as a community, in the rhythm and flow of energy through our week, Sunday morning has emerged as a real high point in the rhythm of our life. That we, we throughout the week, are looking forward with anticipation to coming back together to worship God and be gathered with the church family again from all that we have poured out during the week to come back together and be reminded of the gospel. That we gather together on Sunday mornings with a palpable sense of community warmth and, at the same time, spiritual vitality that we come together so excited to see one another again. I've used this image, I've said it's, it's like, the, like we celebrate a giant church family reunion every Sunday and there's always room at the table for more, right? So there's handshaking and back slapping and hugging and smiling and also during virus season, elbow bumping and fist bumping and whatever so we don't get each other sick, I guess. We come together so happy to see each other again, but not in the clicky exclusionary way like can happen, right? When we're so happy to see each other because there's always room at the table for more. So arms and hearts are open to those who are new among us and that is a challenge for us. We come together, but not just horizontally. I see a time when we're so joyed, overjoyed to see one another But we're not just here for each other, we're here for God and we need God for goodness sake. We come here again to cast our brokenness and our sin before God, to hear the good news of his grace, to be reminded how we've been claimed by God into his family, to gather together at the table of God as we did just now, to be nourished by him, to be strengthened together as the people of God and in the presence of God. And when we come together, I imagine in this way that that all the church's generations, including the six living adult generations who are all alive together right now at the same time for the first time in human history, thanks to increasing life expectancies, all the diversity of Gen Z and Millennial and X and Boomer and Builder and all that, and also our teens and our children who are visible to one another in various roles, learning and participating and leading together on Sunday morning throughout our building so that our Heavenly Father is honored when the whole family of god is gathered together and not only is god honored but frankly we need one another. we need one another our old need our young our young need our old our conflicted middle-aged people we need both of you on both sides we gather together in this way and we are all engaged right not not recipients not just recipients not passive consumers observers spectators we are engaged intellectually emotionally spiritually by the music, by the art, by the content, by the sacraments, by the preaching. And in this environment, the gospel is proclaimed, the good news of God in Jesus Christ, with the result that people are entering the kingdom of God, sometimes for the first time and more fully all the time, which all of us need. And because of this, when we gather together for worship, I think that God is honored that his name is magnified, his reputation and fame are increased. God is honored. Believers together in the family of God are encouraged and strengthened by the gospel and by the word of God. And unbelieving guests among us, those of you who are here for the first time today, we, it is our privilege to welcome guests hospitably, I hope, in all of our worship services nearly every week. I hope that what you feel, what I want for you to feel when you gather among us is loved. I hope you feel loved by our community and loved by God. I hope you feel inspired by the good news of Jesus and the hope that he creates for you, for us, and for the world. And I hope you feel a little bit intrigued even, like somehow you've wandered into the home of a remarkable and maybe slightly peculiar family. I hope that you might think to yourself, if this is what Christian means to you people, tell me more about that. I'm curious. I'm interested in that. I want that for us. I want that Christ-formed future for us on Sunday morning and all the time. And I humbly believe that God wants something like that for us. I don't pretend to have a God's eye view, but I humbly believe that God wants something like that for us when we gather together. Now, the truth is that there are obstacles between us and there, right? There's distance between us and there. And that's, that shouldn't scare us. That will always be true. We are an imperfect, broken church of imperfect, broken people. Praise God, it means you and I are all welcome here, Right? I, I tell new member classes this, you can testify, I tell new member classes, if you were looking for the perfect church, you found the wrong place. Go find a perfect church somewhere else. If, there, if this was a perfect church, I couldn't be here, you should go find a perfect church and go ruin it when you get there. Because I, I would have ruined this one when I got here. We're, we're, we're broken, sinful people following after the Lord together, saved and healed by his grace. So it should be okay for us to talk about our obstacles and our challenges. For us, I think some of the most obvious ones are maybe some of the easiest ones to deal with. And I, I put these all under the general heading of something like quality. By the way that we have divided ourselves within a relatively not that large church community to divide ourselves into three services and two rooms... means that we have divided our resources, our technology, our money, our funds, over lots of different needs for those resources. And as a result, our rooms, our facilities, our technology are not as well cared for and not as updated as, frankly, they really should be to help engage us, right? I mean, this room looks a little bit like a garage sale on some Sundays. We gather a lot of stuff in here. It's gym, it's taekwondo, it's a storage facility, it's a worship room, right? It's lots of things. Our sound systems in both our sanctuary and here struggle, Uh, projectors, software, all this stuff really needs attention that we don't give it as much as, as it deserves. Deeper level than that, I don't think that the creativity and the intentionality that we pastors and worship planners and worship staff invest in each of our services is at the level that it could be and that I believe that it should be. And in fact, I know from talking to some of you that when I said the creativity and the intentionality that's somewhere in your head, you went, creativity? Really? Here? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, when we gather together, for example, for our uh, our central worship planning meeting every Monday afternoon, and there's plenty throughout the week, but when we gather together there and I gather with that team, I, I'm, I'm constantly aware that we are not giving the the energy of thought and the creativity and the intentionality to each of our services and to the experience of our community gathered together that I wish that we could and that I believe that we should, and it's because there's just so many, because there's just so many. And maybe the one that I think is, is maybe the most important of the quality is the quality of care that, that people like me, that our pastors and staff, provide to the wonderful people and teams that serve our community on Sunday morning. I'm talking about people who serve on on reading teams. I'm talking about people who serve on communion-serving teams, on technical production teams, and music teams, and ushers, and greeters, and coffee, and hospitality. Those of you who serve on those teams, you serve so sacrificially, and generously, and diligently, and we all owe you so much. Thank you for doing it. And I regret that, that we, as pastors and staff, have not been able to provide the level of care and leadership to these teams that they deserve, not equipping these teams with clarity and vision and spiritual equipping and pastoral care. And a lot of times we get people on teams and they've been serving them on them for 20 years and they're getting burned out and tired and, and we don't open up space for new people to come and use their gifts and don't always even know when people are hurting or getting tired or having a conflict or a crisis in their lives. And, and I just think that we can do better than that. I think that we can invest in our teams and make serving an even more joyful, more broadly shared, more fruitful experience than than it is right now. And at this level of thing, All these things that I'm talking about, all of these are things that begin to get easier, and some of them get easier quickly as we begin to take steps toward unity together. Think about our ability to increase the brightness and clarity of our video projection. Some of you even saw that in our sanctuary recently. The sound systems that we invest in. When we we brought our services together at our Mill Run campus and put a new sound system in the sanctuary there, and everybody, young and old alike, all thought the sound got better all at once. One woman came, and that doesn't happen a lot. One woman came up to uh, one of our leaders after the service with just tears in her eyes. This is the first time in 10 years that I've been able to understand the sermon because of the, the quality and clarity of, of the sound. And I mean, my reaction was like, I can't believe you're still here. Like 10 years, it's amazing. And now she understands them. She's not actually here anymore. She left now because she understands. Them. Just kidding, that's not true. At this level, when we begin to, when people can hear better and, and see better and there's more creativity and more engagement in the planning and our teams get led and tended and cared for better, everybody wins. Some of those things more quickly, some of those things take a little bit more time, but those are things where everybody wins. Let me, let me drive a little bit deeper yet. I think we face challenges together as a church at the level of identity and unity, and not everybody, and not all the time, and, and probably not you, but some people in our church have this problem. I've had the opportunity, as have other pastors and staff people here, to talk to people about what they love in our church, and hear the stories, and you, know, you can ask some people what they love about church, and come into church on Sunday morning, and they'll talk about their service, and how when they, they gather together... and in sacred space and recognize that God is holy and powerful and that the worship that we have is serious and it's thoughtful and it's really engaging and it's it's real worship, it's not entertainment. That's all fantastic. We want all that to be true, right? But does it imply that there is another group of Christians in our church where those things are not true? Or you can talk to people in our church who will say, I love that when I come together for worship with my church family on Sunday morning, we center the grace of God and we know that God is there for everybody and you can come as you are and God meets you where you are and children are welcome and whole families are welcome and that is awesome that's how we should feel. But do we want to believe about other Christians in our church that they do not center the grace of God and that children are not welcome and that you can't come where you are and that God does not chase after the broken? And I I don't scold or blame anybody for thinking any of these things. In fact, to the to the contrary, I understand where that comes from. If anything, I, I think I take responsibility for it. I think I and we pastors and, and leaders have unintentionally created and sustained and maintained and nurtured a system where these kind of thoughts will almost inevitably arise. So I take responsibility for it and frankly repent of it. So I'm deeply concerned that we as individuals and as a community will not be able to grow in Christ together and participate in the mission of God to our world, to our external community in the way that we need to if on the inside these are the kinds of things that we harbor about one another. I don't think what God needs most is for us to be a smarter, more sophisticated church with fancier technology. Some of that stuff is good to have, it's a nice to have and it can help. But churches that are in communities, organizations, people who are smarter, fancier, and more sophisticated don't necessarily get healthier. But healthier tends to get smarter over time. And I think it's important for us to invest in the spiritual health relationship with God and with one another of our community. And now let me take this one level deeper even. Not only, have, not only do we live and have we maintain systems that, kinda, that tend to segregate us based on our generations, and on our stylistic and cultural preferences, but I think there's a theological thing. I think there's a God thing going on underneath all this, and let me try to explain it from this particular perspective. I've been a part of this church for coming up on two years now, and have had the opportunity to talk to people like Joe, who's been here for like 102 years, and other people who have, just kidding, brother, (laughs) uh, who have been leading here and worshiping here for a long time, and And it seems to me that that we, Upper Arlington Lutheran Church, have been at our best when we have been drinking life-giving water from multiple streams of good and beautiful and strong streams of historic Christianity. One of those streams is what's classically called evangelicalism. That we draw from that stream of evangelical Christianity, and that word means a lot of things to a lot of people, let me tell you what I mean by it, that that word means that we center the gospel that we have heard the gospel of God's grace for us in Jesus Christ, that by God's grace offers us salvation for our lives now and forever, and life transformation that begins now and goes on forever. And not only do we have an experience of this and claim this for ourselves as the most important thing in our lives, but we have a fervent desire that those who do not know the Lord Jesus would come to know him so that they would find out how good and powerful the grace of God is and that their lives would be saved now and forever. And, at, and, and from this stream of Christianity, Christianity we also we also learn our very high degree of trust in the truth and reliability and truthfulness of the scriptures of the bible this is one of our great strengths as a church we also as a church drink from the waters of the stream of sacramental christianity this is so healthy for us as embodied human beings it reminds us that we are not brains on sticks or souls in meat suits but rather we are embodied people who are claimed in our whole selves by God, for example, in the waters of baptism. It's why we put symbols like this up here to remind us that God has claimed us and made us his own by his activity in the world. And we believe what the scriptures teach, that through the waters of baptism, Jesus, we are joined to Jesus and we believe that if we are united with him in a death like his, that we shall surely be united with him in a resurrection like his and that God raises us up by the Holy Spirit to walk in the newness of life right now. And that we are gathered together around the table of God, God, as the family of God, and we are given the body of Christ, which somehow in God's miraculous economy also makes us the body of Christ and sends us out into the world to be the ongoing incarnation of Jesus, his hands and feet. The guy already had hands and feet and yet sends us out to be the ongoing incarnation of Jesus in the world. And we learn from this stream that how we come together for worship is not a coincidence. But the very patterns of worship that we use, the things that we do, even the embodied practices, the way that we stand, sit, kneel, raise our hands, eat, drink, splash water, all of these things teach us and they form the way that we believe and the way that we live and obey. We're formed by the evangelical stream of Christianity, the sacramental, historic stream of Christianity, and also the charismatic stream of Christianity. We are among those who believe that God did not stop working in the first century but that the Holy Spirit of God is alive and well, and it is part of our practice to seek God's direction in our lives. We believe that he wants to continue to teach us and lead us. Just as Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I will send you another counselor who will will lead you into all truth and remind you of the things that I have taught you. And we believe that the power of God is still available to us in our lives and God's own miraculous ways of acting, but to bring healing to us, body, mind, soul, and community. And I think that we are at our best when we are in the middle of all those things. Each of them has excesses and malformations and weaknesses. And I think that we are most prone to the excesses and the malformations when we kind of draw all the way into one corner and aren't strengthened by the strengths of all three of these. And I think that a little bit of what has happened entirely unintentionally is that as we have sorted ourselves into stylistic and cultural preferences and communities with generational tendencies, I think we've also allowed ourselves to sort into rooms full of worshipers that have most of the same predilections that we do. And so we kind of, uh, I'm not going to do this right now, but you might even begin to think, gosh, among our worship services, are we all in the middle or have we migrated toward one pole or another? And I think that we are at our best in the middle. It's sort of like... um, how many of you have ever gone to a carnival or an amusement park and had a caricature drawn of your face? Have you ever done that? I feel like my face is already a caricature, so I don't need to do that. But you could imagine, like a, if you saw a picture of me with that really pronounced chin and recessive forehead and whatever those pictures usually look like, you could probably still tell it was me, right? I think sometimes the way, the, but, but it would, you still would tell still tell me, but it wouldn't be a great picture, I hope. I think the way that we picture God, is influenced by the way that we worship. And we have sometimes in some of our communities really gathered up into one end of the triangle and emphasized the grace of God or the presence of God or the power of God or the holiness of God. And I could go on and on, right? And when we come together, we are at our best. And I think God can do the most work among us. This is probably the best example or the clearest explanation I can think of of what I meant when uh, I sent out the latest edition of the Unvarnished video series that we do. If you don't get those, give the church your address, you'll get them. It's a video clip I send out about every four to six weeks and I was introducing some of the worship changes that we're talking about. And I said, you know, bottom line, why would we do this? I just fundamentally believe that for us, for this church, and we don't have authority over any other or need to, but where we are together as a people at this point in time, I just believe we're better together than we are apart. Maybe that means better technology and better creativity and better teams. It it means those things, but really, I think it means spiritually. I think we're better able to go through the growing pains together but become the embodiment of the kind of Jesus-loving, sin-forgiving, body-soul-restoring community, intergenerational family that God intends for us to be. So let me... Say something just briefly to the exalt community in particular. I'm so grateful for the engagement that many of you have had and some focus groups and these engaged meetings and the survey feedback we got. We're going to be sharing more of that out in the coming weeks and doing more groups and we've got more meetings coming up. Please stay tuned for those things. We we'll want to stay participating together. Listening to the exalt community in particular, I've heard, many of us I think have heard, two concerns in particular. And, and where there are more, let's keep talking about it. We're not done. But two in particular that I really want to address right now. I think, um, well, at, at a macro level, we're coming together at 1030. We're going to be joining together in a, in a remodeled version of our sanctuary sometime later this spring, probably. We're still figuring the dates out. But as we do that, isn't somewhere in the back of a lot of our minds the, the, the nagging question, well, who wins, celebration or exalt, Right. And because we're going to be in the sanctuary, most of us are afraid we know the answer to that question, right? And I just want to tell you that I am aware of that, and, and, and I, I, I hate it, not you. I hate that I have to think like that, and I think we all do, right? It's like, no, there shouldn't be a winner, right? And, and by the way, I'm telling them exactly the same things over there, but, but we're moving over into that room, and so there's that fear. And I think two of the ways that we are particularly concerned about as worshipers in this community would go under the heading of music and community music and community and I think a lot of us have the fear that we're really just going to go over and make a like twice as large celebration service it's going to sound exactly the way that it sounds right now and that's exactly why I'm not over there at 10:30 right now right and I just want to tell you, that is nobody's intention. And, and I think we are communicating with one another as clearly as we can. It says this is not about reproducing the celebration sound, nor is it about reproducing the exalt sound. But I think that together, those who are worship and music leaders right now, and those who will be invited to join those teams and broaden this out, I think we, can, we will create a new modern style of worship service together that I think is farther ahead, more creative than all the things that we're doing in either one of the rooms right now. We wanna draw the strength of both. Sure, there's more to talk about there, but I'm not gonna make everybody listen to it right now. The second thing is on the level of community. And this is just one of the great strengths, one of the things that so many people love about this room, right? And, and there is undeniably a different feeling when you walk into the back of, of this room and you walk into the back of the sanctuary, right? Does something different to you emotionally. Let me say a couple things about that. One is help us do the best we can with that, Right? What are the things we're we're doing? We're having an architect help us imagine things we can do to let that space be the beautiful space that it is while we also improve its warmth, its accessibility, the ability of people to connect with each other, to welcome children and families together. What can we do about that? We're going to be sharing drawings out. Participate in that process. Help us think about that. Let's do this together. This and everything else is is a learning exercise together. Some of it will just be the way that we interact with one another. We'll make it true or untrue by the way that we interact with one another. Let's pursue that together. Together, I also want to add a little bit of challenge to us for those of us who have been a part of this service the longest, and this is hard for me to say because i haven 't been one of those people quite clearly. We love coming together here and seeing our old best friends and that passing of the peace time in the middle of our service that goes on for thirty four minutes like we, we love we love that time at the same time. I, I do want to share with you that every study i 've found about how guests feel about worship services puts that kind of time at the top of the list of things they hate about going to a new church. Right? It, it can be so off-putting and feeling like you're on the outside. And even within a community, as moderately sized as this Life and Road Exalt community is, we even have internal sub-communities here, and there are people who feel themselves on the outside of these things. So this is, there's something awesome going on. And as we move and want to hold tightly to community and prayer for one another and warmth and throwing our arms around and back slapping and elbow bumping and prayer for one another, whatever, we want to hold tightly to that and maybe hold lightly to the form that it takes, right? And so how is it that we will continue to pursue these things? And let's work toward that together. I want you to know that I and the rest of your leadership understands the value and together we want to pursue how we're going to continue to uh, pursue the same value, maybe in different ways together. All right, let me, let me turn for home. We've been doing this for a long time. All right, There's a little part of me that is tempted to conclude with this kind of invitation. Trust me, this is going to be better in the long run. Trust me, you're going to like this. And there's a part of me that thinks that I, that is what I think. But I don't really like that because that way of talking positions you as a consumer. It positions you as a passive recipient. Just come along, we're gonna do this thing and hopefully you'll like it better than the thing we're giving you right now. Neither you nor I want that for each other. We don't wanna think about each other that way. I wanna invite you instead to engage with the spirit of God over this. To be not a recipient or a consumer that nobody wants to be, but to be a fellow builder, to be a builder together of this. And at an individual level, I want to invite you to be in prayer. We're going to have, like, one song after this. You can pray during that time, pray during this week, pray during the coming weeks and months. You could could pray this prayer that a mentor taught me years ago, and I've shared with you from time to time. God, do whatever you need to do in me so you can do what you want to do through me. Right? So how, how am I going to experience transformation in this? How am I going to grow as a, as a Christian, as a worshiper, as a member of this church together? Because we're going to be challenged. We're all going to be uncomfortable. I tried to make the celebration service feel as uncomfortable as possible half an hour ago. Right? We're all going to feel uncomfortable together, but we're going to grow. I think we're going to grow healthier. And then, also as part of that, consider how it is that you will activate that identity as a builder together. Right? And maybe it's your engagement in the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray, and the sacraments that we share. Maybe there's some way of being involved in service to one another that you've been thinking about trying, but you thought that team was closed. It's not closed anymore, Maybe you want to help us share communion. Maybe you'd love to be a reader. You have musical gifts that you'd like to bring to our worship and music leading teams, our tech production teams, our our ushers. Did I say that already? All of our teams, right? Uh, We want to care for you and build up our teams. And I think there's a level of growing in Christ that, frankly, only happens when we are activated somehow, right? So I want to invite you to pray about those things. Because I believe that when we come together, those of us who are in this room, And together with those who are in that room, and in a more metaphorical way, those who are in other rooms and all of our worship services together, I think that when we link arms together and march forward, then by the power of the Spirit of God working in us, that we can take the next hill that God has for us, the next hill that is, best I can tell, that God has set forth for us to grow together as a community. So let me just briefly pray for us and set you up for a journey of prayer. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, thank you. I am immeasurably grateful for what you have done in this church community over many decades. I am grateful for the way that your name and story has been lifted up and told, for the way that your good news has reached out into the communities around us, to the city and population of Columbus and these Northwest suburbs. God, I'm just, I'm just grateful to be a part of it. God, I pray that you would continue to do your work in us that you would work in our hearts do your work of transformation in us and among us and through us. We are bold to pray that you would lead us as you did for your people in ancient times, as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and that we would know where you are taking us and that you would give us the courage to follow you there. Lord, we pray, do whatever you need to do in and among us so you can do what you want to do through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.